This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Right here. Right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles. Ready for next day installation. And all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hi, Margaret here with Samantha, today's guest, recording a new introduction to this episode because a lot has happened since we recorded it only a couple weeks ago. Normally, this is a history podcast, and the way that our subjects tie into current events is left up to the listener's imagination. But this is kind of an exceptional moment, because when we recorded this episode, which is about abortion access and direct action abortion access, specifically the Jane Collective, well, I guess you all saw that when you saw the title of the episode when you downloaded it. The, we, we kind of joke about, I think, during the course of recording about, not joke, but we say, well, the overturning of Roe v. Wade is a potential threat. Um, and since then, we've obviously all seen that there's a leaked document that says, well, it's not a, a potential threat. It is a, an almost certainty that is happening. Uh, the Supreme Court intends to overthrow Roe v. Wade. Um, Samantha, do you have a, a better overview than that? So here is what we have been able to read and what we know that in this leaked document, they have already voted to overturn uh, Roe v. Wade, and they did it through the Supreme Court case of Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, which is based out of Mississippi, which also is a trigger state. And if you don't know what trigger state is, it means they are ready to go the minute Roe v. Wade is overturned, that there will be an immediate ban on abortion the second it happens. So they are called the trigger states, and there are several. We'll mention that in a minute. Um, and Mississippi is one of those. So in this brief that we read from Judge Alito, who is the one that has written this up, it is 98 pages long uh, with like 40 something uh, pages of an appendix to talk about his argument about why Roe v. Wade should be overturned. And he begins his statement. And I think it's something that we need to talk about because the language in itself is going to be repeated throughout. I'm not going to read it. I swear to God, I'm not. I cried. I screamed at the computer when I was reading this and dissecting it. And I want to vomit as we are talking about it. But in it, he writes, uh, yeah, he begins the statement with talking about how divisive this issue is and is a profound moral issue. So he is allowing this conversation to take into a whole load of feelings 
and automatically place what he feels is morality and his own morality onto this. So that's how it begins. Um, and then he talks about the fact that the Constitution, and we hold that Roe and Casey, which is the Casey versus Planned Parenthood, which happened in the 90s, that mm-hmm. helped keep up with the Roe v. Wade, um, that it must be overruled. The Constitution makes no reference to abortion and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision, including the one on which the defenders of Roe and Casey now chiefly rely, the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. So in that clause, just for people, I have a feeling so many people, the people listening to this are so smart, they're going to be like, would you shut up and move on? But just in case, (laughs) just in case, it's that privacy, the right to privacy, which is not necessarily mentioned, but it is based in this. And they took that language and said, yes, this is about privacy. So that's very important, as we know, because it goes to a slew of other uh, Mm -hmm. unconstitutional constitutional things. So he talks about that and that he continues on. That provision has been held to guarantee some rights that are not mentioned in the Constitution. But many such must be, quote, deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition and implicitly in the concept of ordered liberty. So ordered liberty, as well as nation's history, is going to be all throughout this uh, brief. His whole stance is that because it was never mentioned in the Constitution, that it was never ever a constitutional thing and should not be allowed as a constitutional thing and that it wasn't even mentioned to be a a right until 1973. And because of that, this is not a constitutional issue. And the other part to this is that ordered liberty. So when we talk about ordered liberty, this is when he is saying that he and a certain amount of people have the right to tell you what your liberties are and they get to tell you what is orderly. So this is why we're talking about how this is going to overturn it because he's able to make this a state's right thing in mm-hmm. which he said that's how it's always been, that's how it's always should be. Roe v. Wade overstepped because they took something out of context from an 1868 idea of this constitutional conversation. So where we are today, yes, there's back and forth right now about it's not that big of a deal because the states can govern. It's not an outright ban, technically. Mm-hmm. Um, what we were talking about earlier, what I was talking about earlier with the trigger states, uh, the states are Idaho, Utah, Wyoming, Texas, Louisiana, Tennessee, Kentucky, Missouri, Arkansas, Mississippi, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Oklahoma. Um, and even though in my state of Georgia, they don't necessarily have a trigger law yet, What they have done is come at the uh, abortion clinics and abortion facilities, um, telling them, go ahead and get ready. And so a lot of the uh, clinics have stopped taking appointments and canceled appointments at this point in time. So it's very, very dangerous in where we are, even though it's not necessarily a trigger state. Those who are sitting in most likely uh, more liberal left leaning are, quote unquote, okay. Um, it is those who are what would be the red states that are going to be heavily, heavily affected. Yeah. And what people, I think, often forget when they're like sitting comfortably in their blue states or whatever is that, you know, the margins that we're talking about, the difference between a red state and a blue state is actually not incredibly dramatic. It's not like the red states are all like, you know, 90% people who want to get rid of this or something like that. It might be 51% or even, well, I guess actually abortion itself, what is it, like 69% of Americans want Like 70% it. Yeah. who want to keep it. And in the state of Georgia, it's 68% as well. So yeah. even though people think of us as just like the you know silly red state, 
Yeah. Though we proved them wrong in the last few elections. And I know yeah. this, I, I am with 100% with everyone when I say this government is bullshit. Yeah. And there's things to be so many things changed. And I am frustrated to the core because nothing, like some things are better and this is better than it was. But at the same time, what happened in 2016 really, really fucked up everything else. Mm -hmm. And what we are seeing is the detriment of that. However, it's not a fix-all. I, I, I understand yeah. this. But what we're saying is in the state of Georgia, the majority of the voters who are typically uh, women of color and people of color mm -hmm. are all about our current uh, senators and those who are pushing to that point. But gerrymandering has made it almost impossible, as well as voter suppression, um, to get to move and push it to the right direction. Nearly. Yeah. I do say nearly. And it's frustrating because, yes, we are going to be affected, even though Georgia is not a trigger state, as we were talking about earlier. Obviously, he's already had he being Governor Kemp has already put in the six week ban and just kind of sitting in uh, court right now. And if these things change, it's over. Yeah. Well, and honestly, the I mean, besides the fact that we have an unelected shadow council that makes all the decisions about what happens with our bodies, really, the point of this episode that you all are about to listen to um, is about direct action, abortion access, and how even when the law is not uh, on your side, this is still going to happen. And how can we make it happen as well as possible, as safely as possible? There's also, unfortunately, other effects that could happen beyond just this. I, I was talking to my my lawyer, uh, the amazing Moira Meltzer Cohen, who said that we need to be prepared for all of the penumbra cases, which are cases that put forth the idea that um, that constitutional due process implies a right to privacy. This was called the penumbra basically during Griswold versus Connecticut, which is the case that legalized birth control. And so basically saying that they had a penumbra, a sort of shadow that implied rights to privacy. And Lawyers uh, on both sides have been arguing that this is a terrible and flimsy legal standing for a very long time. But other things that rely on that include, as I mentioned, birth control, but also uh, gay sex or really any sex that isn't for procreation could theoretically be right. criminalized once again. And so what we're going to do is we're going to link to a lot of resources in the show notes, uh, encourage people to to look into things, look into ways to contribute, look into ways to, if if you have your own needs, um, how you can meet those directly if you, or help other people meet their needs directly through lots of different ways. And for those who are in the point, I know people are feeling a time crunch because there is a time crunch. Abortion is still legal and accessible. Uh, the home abortion pill is FDA approved to be sent by mail. So if you need to do mm -hmm. that, do that. That is still accessible and it's still around. And we do see organizations that are coming through kind of like the Jane Collective did mm -hmm. um, on a better, bigger level, which I, I love every bit of that. That's kind of that silver lining. And again, yeah, things that we'd see, such as birth control, we are seeing things in play. Missouri and Louisiana has decided to put in a clause in their trigger laws that includes IUDs being illegal. So that means God. someone who has an IUD, which has become very effective, uh, may be prosecuted, um, as well as the fact that those who are going through things like ectopic pregnancy, which is when, again, I think we talk about it later, it gets, uh, the egg is, the fertilized egg is stuck in your fallopian tube, bursts and kills a person, can mm -hmm. kill a person, uh, damage them severely. This will be, uh, if you try to extract that, that'll be considered abortion as well. So this is why these laws are so important that we pay attention to it. 
Again, that privacy clause, that's what they're coming after. And that includes gay marriage. That includes uh, consensual adult sex. That includes so much more. Um, And that's why this is so damn scary. Yeah. And we'll leave it to the listener's imagination about the methods that might be necessary when the democratic process has failed. But one thing also we'll say is that uh, I love this episode that you're all about to hear, but don't listen to it to determine how to self-manage abortions. Look elsewhere for information about how to self-manage abortions. Medicated abortions are readily available, at least at the moment, and are substantially better than what is uh, available and what was available to the heroes of today's episode. So what can people do like if people have if people want to donate what would you be, what right. would you suggest so i don't want to give you specific organizations because it affects different uh people different in different places uh but one of the things i would say is planned parenthood is not necessarily where you should donate maybe start looking at uh specific clinics and funds that you are appreciative of or think that they can do a good job research who you're donating to also if you're in a safe state as we said and i'm going to call this safe states i don't know if that's what they're called i'm just going to quote it like in one of the states where the uh government is allowing and talking about, yeah, abortion it should be uh, part of healthcare. then maybe look to the trigger states that we mentioned earlier and help donate to those states because they are in deep danger, as I said before, about losing everything very quickly, very fast. Yeah. And the people I've been talking to and asking for advice about where to put pe- put your energy in terms of organizations to support have also suggested that abortion funds uh, are specifically the place to go. And then also one other one that, again, my, my lawyer friend recommended is called the Repro Legal Defense Fund, which is a, a fund that supports people who are investigated, arrested, or prosecuted for self-managed abortion or for helping end their own or someone else's pregnancy. And so right. that is a thing that legal defense is going to have to become part of all of this as well, unfortunately. Absolutely. Um, and if you kind of want to know uh, what is impacted and how you can impact better, you can also go to the National Network of Abortion Funds, and they kind of have a list of who is in need of services and what type of services are being used for what funds. And that could give you a kind of at least an audited sheet of who you're giving to and what they're doing. And here's the episode. Hello, and welcome to Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff, the podcast that needs no introduction. No, 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 Margaret, it, ne- it needs an introduction. Okay, welcome to Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff, the podcast that apparently needs an introduction. Uh, Every week, I'm going to bring you a new story of cool people who did cool stuff, thus the title. Uh, I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy, and this week I have on Samantha McVeigh, who is the host of the also stuff-related podcast, Stuff Mom Never Told You. Samantha, how are you doing? Good. Thank you for having me on the show, and yay, welcome to the fam and all the things. So excited to have you as a part of our network family. Yeah, Yay. I'm really excited. Okay, so um, I've also have Sophie on the call. Hi. So, uh, Sophie's the producer. How are you doing? Superheroes, Sophie over here. Do, doing, I'm doing. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> that's a, that, is the, that is a theme of 2022, 21, 2020. We're doing, Whatever year it is. We're doing. Time yeah. is not real. <laughs> it does yeah. not exist. Um, especially since what we're recording will make no sense to people who are listening to it 25 years from now. Gosh, yeah, I hope so. But so, Samantha, I'm wondering, how do you feel about <laughs> reproductive rights? Would you say that overall you're pro or anti you deciding what happens with your body? 
uh, you know, as someone who does have a uterus and feels the fact that I am a pretty smart and capable woman, um, that I should mm -hmm. be allowed to have my choices and that being dictated by a cis white men telling me that they mm -hmm. need control over my body because they're afraid of the vagina in general and uterus and the power of the uterus. I'm going to say I'm pro everything about <laughs> it. And let's go ahead and say, nah, bro, get out of it. Well, is that a long-winded answer? <laughs> no, no, this is great. Uh, it would be a very different and short podcast if your answer was wildly different from that. I have it to got admit. really short and uncomfortable. <laughs> I, I was like, yeah. Margaret, I have this really great person that I want to have on for this specific topic. <laughs> and so Anthony comes yeah. on and it's like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know how I feel. Well, I, it used to be. Can I tell you this? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I grew up in a very conservative, for the listeners who are familiar with me, I grew up in a very conservative uh, town. My parents are uh, white. I'm adopted, and they're very conservative mm -hmm. people who um, have always voted on moralities, including anti-choice oh, uh, lifestyle. And for the longest time, I was told because I was adopted, I should be anti-choice, or I wouldn't have existed. This whole like guilt trip onto mm -hmm. me about mm -hmm. that, making it seem like I was in the wrong for saying, but wait, the the bigger conversation is you're telling me that you really feel like you can't trust me as, a, as an adult, as a person, as an individual to make my own choices yeah. in life um, and that it needed to be dictated by a government, but nothing else does. OK, but it took me a long time to get out of that <laughs> headspin because, I, you know, mm -hmm. you want to acclimate and be a be a part of whatever your society or community you're in. It took me a while to figure out, oh, God, that's gross. What is happening? Yeah. You know, and what kind of control had it on there? So honestly, if you'd asked me that 20 years ago, we would have had a different conversation. Okay. <laughs> no, that, I mean, that's fair. And like it, you know, there's a lot of indoctrination that we all exactly. deal with. I'm, I'm almost sort of lucky in that, like, I was always just like such one of the bad kids that I, I was pretty young when like my friends started having abortions. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm so grateful that they had that opportunity because a lot of them were able to like get out of the situations they were in, you know, um, because they had that access. But right. Well, today's heroes uh, have come to similar conclusions that, that we have about being pro people deciding what to do with their own bodies. And uh because, okay, people are going to talk about the fucking cool, and I'm going to be talking about direct action abortion access. And in particular, I'm going to focus on one crew of women out of Chicago, the Notorious Jane Collective. Yes! <laughs> I'm so excited. Let's do this. <laughs> oh, this is one of my favorites. Come on. Cool. I'm ready. Well, let's go. And so uh, I think actually the podcast that you're on, I don't think you were the host of this particular episode, but the, the podcast you, you run actually did an interview with the founder of Jane, Heather Booth. Um, yes. I just want to acknowledge that and say it was, it was fucking cool. And I listened to that while I was getting ready for this one. <laughs> and before I start getting too deep into it, so I'm going to talk about abortion, right? And so I'm going to be talking about how it is and isn't a women's issue in the modern context. Um, I want to acknowledge up front that abortion is not just a women's issue. Plenty of people who are not women can get pregnant and might not want to be, whether that's some trans men, some non-binary people, and some intersex people who can all get pregnant. Uh, and I will, I will say that one day, it's as likely as not that some trans woman is going to get pregnant. And there's this meme floating around that I really like, is that what will really drive the right wing into a rage isn't when the first trans woman gets pregnant, it's when the first trans woman chooses to have an abortion. <laughs> but, 
but I also will say that, um, so it's not just a, a women's issue, but it is right. also a women's issue as well. And I don't want to cut that out of the conversation either. And I, I spent a while trying to figure out how to phrase all this, right? Because it's a kind of a moving target to understand really, yeah. how we talk about this stuff. The, so I would say that the history of the limitation of abortion access is entirely entangled with the history of misogyny and with controlling women's bodies and denying us agency. And there's there's plenty of women who can't get pregnant, whether it's because of age, surgeries, hormone shifts, uh, the way we were born. But something doesn't need to affect like every single woman to be a woman's issue, to be something that affects all of us. Because patriarchal society wanting to control women's bodies uh, doesn't stop with the women who can get pregnant, right? Um, they want to control everybody. So I guess what I want to say to to anyone's listening, um, and just to kind of provide the context that I'm coming from, is that when I'm talking about abortion access, I'm trying to talk about it from both of these angles at once, uh, two sort of intersecting axes of oppression is people with the ability to give birth and people who are women, and which is very often a intersection, right? Mm-hmm. But not always. And then, of course, we're talking about shit that happened like 50 years ago, right? And so a lot of the existing language about the people that we're going to be talking about will be referring to people as women and uh, will be approaching it primarily from this lens of it being a woman's issue. And I'm trying to, well, I'm going to try and be more directly inclusive throughout. I'm not trying to like cast judgment on these people who framed it in the ways that they understood it is the best way to frame it. Um, so that's my disclaimer. <laughs> uh, I spent more, more time on than like the rest of the, no, like that's it. not true. It has to. You have to though. Uh, yeah. Okay, so abortion and legality, right? Abortion has been a contentious issue since uh, forever. And and sometimes it's about morality. Like like on an individual level, a lot of people are against abortion because of, of what they consider morality. And some religious groups teach that life begins at conception or at the quickening, which is when a, a pregnant person can first feel the baby moving, um, which is usually about halfway through the pregnancy. It happens, a, a, I guess, a couple weeks earlier in pregnancies after the first pregnancy that a person has. Other people claim that life begins at viability, which is when the fetus would be able to survive outside the womb, which is usually around seven months. And then other religions and other concepts and faiths teach that life begins at birth. And it isn't as like simple as like this religion believes this, this religion believes that. There's not like one answer about like how Christianity believes or whatever, right? It's all different and changing at different times. I also frankly don't care on some level, like, um, like whether or not I am or am not a religious person, like I have no interest in letting religion dictate the laws of society. So there's this case that a lot of people make that the restriction of abortion has nothing to do with morality or religion, but instead about the control of, of bodies, right. Of women's bodies and, and women's bodies. And then like by extension, all of the people who are in the periphery of womanhood and I don't know. It's like, and sometimes they're really even open about this desire where it's like literally just about controlling reproduction. A lot of countries, uh, they say that motherhood is like patriotic, right? Because really at the end of the day, it's about this, like, well, we want more babies to throw into the, you know, grist mill of labor and war and shit. If you were looking at like QAnon level of, uh, (laughs) of the mom groups, is an interesting fight they have and a part of that solution and part of that fight is to birth their own babies, meaning like typically white Mm -hmm. children and making sure that that lineage continues in this big old fight in the QAnon war. It's a whole rabbit hole in itself. I I wish I didn't know that. Um, Thanks for telling me this (laughs) terrible thing that's happening. Oh my God. It's like, it doesn't surprise me at all. No, it doesn't surprise me at all. But I'm like, but I... 
like, of course they're doing that. God damn it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. I know. These are the I know. I will tell you, uh-huh. I probably should have given you that heads up is when, on our show on Stuff Mom Never Told You. I am the pessimist. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Host that brings out the unfun facts. So apologies in advance. No, no, no. That's perfect because I've tried to do this. Like, I mean, it's ironic. I, I picked this name Killjoy and then I like dedicate my life to trying to spread revolutionary hope. But I love that. I love that. We, I love that we have this balance today. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unfun facts with Samantha McVeigh. That should be a show. You're welcome. You should have a show. I want to be guest on Unfun that. Facts. It should be. Yes. Unfun facts with Samantha so McVeigh. You need to start this up. You're the creator of all shows. Let's do this. I'm in. I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the first uh, European government to to legalize abortion was revolutionary Russia, as far as I can research. And in October 1920, they, they legalized abortion. And some people... We'll talk about how they did it from a feminist point of view. A lot of other stuff will say they did it because um, they were all starving. And so they just were like, oh, it's okay to not have babies for this moment, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of strong case to be made for that, that they didn't actually, some of them cared, some of them didn't care. I don't know. Because they they also got rid of abortion again, um, various points. And then they had like huge pro-natal PR campaigns. And then, of course, Stalin uh, made it illegal again because he's Stalin and Mm -hmm. he only does bad things um and okay the the law that he passed on june 27th 1936 has the most soviet name i've ever heard which is the uh decree on the prohibition of abortions the improvement of material aid to women in childbirth the establishment of state assistance to parents of large families and the extension of lying in homes nursery schools and kindergartens the tightening up of criminal punishment <laughs> and the non-payment of alimony and on certain modifications on divorce legislation that rolls right off the tongue. That was amazing. It was so beautiful. Good job. Yes, yeah. On certain <laughs> modifications in divorce legislation. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I was just making sure I got yeah, that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, cool, yeah. cool. Obviously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then one of the other times that abortion was legalized in Europe, I actually think was really cool and not like, oh, maybe why are they doing this? But um, during the Spanish Civil War, uh, in I guess probably 1936 or so. I didn't. I don't remember the actual year. And an anarchist became the first min, the first woman minister of health and like one of the first women ministers in government in Europe. This uh, as anarchist woman Federica Montseny became the minister of health of the Second Spanish Republic, and she legalized abortion because it was the right thing to do. And then Franco uh, successfully invaded the Second Spanish Republic and. Uh, it was a whole war thing that happened, and it didn't really go very well. Um, and Spain got fascism oh, no. instead of legalized abortion. So close to getting it right. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> I almost like don't don't know where to stick this. But one of the things that I, I think about a lot when I'm talking about how like why are they making abortion illegal? Is it morality or is it social control? And I think that as soon as you start throwing birth control into it too, it becomes so obvious that it's not about morality; it's about social control because. All of the same stuff that's illegalizing abortion is like, you know, I'm going to do a whole episode about the birth control fight at some point. But um, it's just this whole parallel thing where basically they're like, right, you shouldn't have sex that doesn't make babies. That's wrong. Right. It's because they just. Which is, by the way, a new headline that I've seen all of a sudden coming back around from the right wing um, conversation is the same narrative of you shouldn't have sex. It's for making children. If you can't handle Mm -hmm. having children, you shouldn't be having sex. Like it's this new, I've seen it trending and I was like, what is happening? Are we bringing that back again? 
is this really the 1980s, 70s, 60s? However, which, by the way, abortion didn't happen until like the 1960s in the U.S. Like, why are we why are we back here? But yeah, it's I, I agree with you. This whole level of like when we really look at it, obviously, that's the conversation we've had about. Is it really your pro-life or are you just anti-choice? Like, that's the conversation. Totally. No, totally. Yeah, because, yeah, you're literally anti people choosing to have like, you know, sane consensual right. whatever the phrasing is the safe sex that's consensual and happy right. and all that shit but then okay so when i'm i'm doing all this like preface stuff i'm going to get to jane soon um a lot of feminists including today's heroes they weren't necessarily even just fighting for the legalization of abortion uh one of the cases that i want to make because it kept coming up as i was researching these people and a lot of the other abortionists at the time is uh, especially the feminists and, and the women involved was that they were fighting for the demedicalization of reproductive health. Basically, they were fighting to take reproductive health, like birth control, abortion, pregnancy, and birth, um, out of the patriarchal field of Western medicine and to have direct control over their own bodies, uh, which doesn't necessarily mean like DIY at home abortions, uh, but it means abortions performed by like competent practitioners, whether they're in the medical field or not. And there's this this argument that uh, my friends have made very convincingly to me that I, I tend to believe that the a lot of the shit that's going on in the witch hunts in in Europe, in medieval Europe, were basically a lot of it was about like, here are these people who are health practitioners who are not tied into the sort of male and academic field of, of health that we're trying to build. And so we should uh, murder them all um, because we want to be the ones mm. controlling everyone's bodies instead of like all of these women and uh, and actually a lot of, uh, I think gay men and other people involved in sort of like swept up in the whatever periphery of women. I don't know how to describe this. And so it's just, it's hard to control population of people's bodies. If there's all these like wild and free practitioners running around, helping people control their own bodies. Um, and one of the things that's so interesting about this argument is that it basically means that the medicalization of reproductive health was a, a violent process that required mass murder. Um, you just killed all the practitioners. As you probably guessed, anyone listening to this, I'm not here to convince you to be pro-choice because um, I'm assuming that you are, anyone who's listening to this. And if you're not, you should, maybe you'll get something out of this episode. Maybe listening to it would be good for you. Maybe you'll just hate me. Uh, that's fine. Um, and because I'm not really here to like balance the moral weight of abortion today. I just want to like celebrate heroic, badass women who refuse to go along with a society that told them they couldn't control their own reproductive health. And so- I want to celebrate the Jane Collective. Amen. <laughs> Yay. I'm proud. Sometime around 1965, there's a lot of arguments about exactly what year it happened. I'm actually the person who does know is alive, but there's lots of people writing lots of different things on the internet and in books because everything doesn't match up with itself. Anyway, in 1965, there's a white Jewish socialist student in Chicago named Heather Booth who got a call from her friend and her friend was despondent. Uh, his sister was pregnant and and she didn't know what to do. Uh, abortion was illegal in every state in the U.S. at that point, uh, with a few medical exceptions here and there different in different places. And Heather hadn't given much thought to abortion access until that moment, but she was like, all right, I'll see what I can do. And, and basically, just with that willingness to step up when someone needed help, she started one of the most radical and interesting abortion access groups in history, which is a lesson to everyone that sometimes you just step up when the call to adventure happens. This isn't part of my script. I'm riffing badly. <laughs> All right, thanks. I like that. Um, but yeah, I agree. Like that we see, we're seeing it happen, unfortunately, as the, it has become 
uh, evident that we're back into this fight again. We've almost like started over and it feels like we're starting over into this point. And funds are being created to make sure that if it does happen, if it's outright banned, and I know we're going to talk about this probably in a bit, that we will have an underground network essentially to continue to help the people who need this access. And I know it happened in Chile too. Mm-hmm. Um, and Poland, too, where uh, the neighboring countries have set up these funds as Poland has passed one of the strictest abortion restrictions that they're ma- now making an underground, essentially, uh, network for them to get access when they need it by giving as many people uh, mm-hmm. travel uh, reimbursement as well as places to stay um, to get in that uh, plan B, all of those things. So, yeah, I think, unfortunately, I'm so excited about talking about this story and I'm so glad you're bringing this up because we are repeating history and we may have to look at this as an example of, all right, y'all, let's get yeah. it let's get it together. We've got to do something and become radical, essentially. Yeah, no, I, I... What are you talking about? This is a history podcast. History doesn't have lessons for the present. <laughs> right. We don't have to learn history. What? <laughs> yeah. It's just random that I picked this topic. <laughs> um, no, I, I really I like, and please continue with the, the how it ties into everything. Cause I just like, love that's, it. It's just, oh, you're speaking to my soul. We're going to be best <laughs> friends. It's happening. Yeah. This is what I need. <laughs> so good. Okay. So Heather Booth was already a radical, right? Uh, in 1964, she joined Freedom Summer, which is when activists flooded to Mississippi to defy the KKK and register black voters and set up schools and libraries, which didn't go smoothly. Uh, at least seven people were murdered by right-wing forces, uh, including uh, black residents and both white and black civil rights activists from from outside the area. And something like 70 black homes, churches, and businesses were bombed or burned. 80 activists were beaten. And uh, more than 1,000 activists ended up arrested, including Heather Booth, during all of this. It also wasn't like... <laughs> It's like, it wasn't perfect and rosy either. I mean, I just described all the horrible stuff that happened, but um, it also led to some resentment, at least according to some of the sources I read. I suspect that people had a lot of different opinions about what happened. Uh, some local black residents felt that there was like kind of a paternalistic white Northern savior thing that had just happened and they weren't necessarily excited about it. But I, I believe that that is, you know, people have very different opinions about things. And it's it's sort of a critical, if complicated chapter of the civil rights movement. And, and Heather Booth was was part of it. And I, I think this is also important because we, it's always important to talk about how all of the people fighting for all these things always come from intersections or believe in intersectionality, even if that term didn't exist yet. You know, like I did another episode once on, on abolitionists and realized that all the abolitionists were feminists and all the feminists were abolitionists, not universally, but the ones who were cool enough to make it into my podcast. <laughs> and so anyway, so it, it's not coming out of nowhere. This, you know, so... She's back in Chicago after that summer, and she was helping form feminist groups where the where women talked about the issues facing them, a process that a few years later got more widespread and be called consciousness raising groups was a big part of uh, feminist movement in the United States in the 60s and 70s. Um, and this is probably how she ended up being the person her friend thought to call. But that's that's just conjecture. I don't, I don't know why the friend called her. So she gets the call and she asks around the medical community within the civil rights movement, basically being like, you know, who can perform an abortion on my friend, you know, mm-hmm. who, who wants to commit a felony really quick. And the doctor she eventually reached, as, as best as I can tell, was a surgeon named T.R.M. Howard, who gets left out of this history sometimes and not always, which is a shame because he's a really fucking interesting guy. He was more famous as a civil rights leader than he was as a doctor. He was one of the most prominent non-socialist voices in the movement. Most of the civil rights movement was 
substantially further left than than this guy. But you know, is black man fighting for civil rights? Uh, I don't know. So so during the Emmett Till case, which again, I'm going to in order to tell you about cool people, I have to tell you about all these horrible things that happened. Um, <laughs> Emmett Till was a 14 year old black kid who was brutally murdered by a white mob in Mississippi in 1955. And during that case, Howard helped run the search for evidence. And I believe that's where he became more prominent within the civil rights movement. And during that trial, discriminatory gun laws wouldn't let him own weapons, but he he did anyway. And he kept a, a pistol in a secret compartment in his car and he slept with a Thompson machine gun at the foot of his bed. Um, and there's this whole history that I also will want hopefully one day cover uh, about hidden within the civil rights movement. There was actually a huge move, even if the political action was largely nonviolent, um, people weren't people were fine with self-defense and a lot of that mm-hmm. movement was armed. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was very politically engaged. He runs for Republican. Uh, he runs as a Republican for Congress in 1958. He doesn't win, but he also fought against the criminalization of sex work, which rules. And he was a, um, a surgeon and a legal abortionist, which he considered part of his civil rights work, which also just rules. And he was arrested mm-hmm. in 1964 and 1965 for providing abortions in Chicago, although he was never convicted. So Heather Booth reaches out to him and he's like, yeah, bring your friend's sister to my office. So word gets around quickly that Heather Booth has the hookup with safe abortionists. Uh, Because obviously, regardless of law, people are still getting abortions in the United States at this point. Um, Right. Yeah. Um, I'm shocked, but it's weird. It's almost like, anyway. (laughs) Uh, Right. Just because it's outlawed. What? Yeah. (laughs) We thought we got rid of that. We made a well, law. It definitely stopped everything, for sure. Yeah. It didn't make everything else dangerous for the low socioeconomic status and no. easy access for the rich people who still <laughs> kept getting abortions. What? Who knew? Wait, did you read my script? Did I share it with you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, we're just in tune. What I'm yeah, saying yeah. is we're best friends. It, we, yeah. Uh, no, I keep having to remind people I'm their best friend when they don't know me. <laughs> <laughs> That's the name of your podcast should be uh, the Your Best Friend Tells You Bad I'm Things. I'm Your Best Friend, obviously. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's the perfect title. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> we're professional. <laughs> um, I love I have to say that every few hours just to remind myself and others around yeah. me. Love yeah. yeah. <laughs> Speaking of being a professional, Margaret, do you know what time it is? Uh, is it time to tell you about how great it is to eat potatoes and other healthy food direct from gardens instead of and how everyone should grow their own food and how this podcast is sponsored by the concept of self-reliance and inter-reliance among healthy communities and no other sponsors at all except for a few that might slip in after i stop talking yes cool (laughs) here's some ads Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 
24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And we're back. I hope you enjoyed those ads. I hope all of them were for really positive things and none of them were for bad things, which is definitely the way that advertising works. I was going to say, if they're not, it's Robert Evans' fault. I can say that. Yes, <laughs> that's true. Everything uh, is Robert. Anything you don't like is Robert's fault. That's how Robert's I live fault. my life. <laughs> it's true, though. <laughs> Robert is in charge of making all the decisions about advertising for the network. And if you have problems with it, you should yeah. hit him up on Twitter. <laughs> Direct your tweets and your emails to him, please. Yes. Thank you yeah. very much. Him, not me. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so... It's hard to keep stats on illegal shit for some weird reason. People don't like necessarily always telling the government when they do illegal shit. Um, but one 1955 study estimated that anywhere between 200,000 and 1,200,000 abortions were happening every year in the United States in 1955. Around 1970, the, um, which is still three years before Roe v. Wade, the, the claimed number is more like one to two million. But who knows? Abortions are happening. Rich women get the hookup from their private doctors or they fly to the UK uh, where abortion law is generally more lenient. Um, and for less privileged folks, it's a lot less rosy. The underground abortion scene was like a, a mixed match of like sketchy grifters and then well-meaning and competent doctors. But you didn't necessarily have a way to determine which one you're going to get. And almost all of them are men. And a lot of them are also connected to organized crime. Uh, including some of the good ones. I think some of the good ones were just like outright criminals attached to organized crime. Yeah, it was really interesting to see that layer as you, when you start like finding out these backgrounds, you're like, wow, wow, okay, okay, yeah. the mafia, okay. <laughs> yeah, they're going to come up a couple of times in this story. <laughs> Ooh, intrigue. Although not as much as they could because some of the people involved in this are all still alive, right? Oh. And so I'm not trying to make conjectures about certain things. Mm. <laughs> Let's not endanger anybody today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so as an interesting note, Chicago actually had one of the only women doctors that I found when I was looking at women abortionists pre-Jane. Um, I'm, I'm sure there were more. But um, Dr. Josephine Gabler performed more than 18,000 abortions throughout the 1930s. And her patients were referred to her from almost 200 different medical facilities. And basically, she would pay a kickback to all the like medical facilities that would send her patients. Um, they would get a quarter of the abortion fee because mm-hmm. uh, everything is sketchy in crime land. But she was also, a, a, I believe, a safe and competent abortionist. And then in 1940, she sold her practice to her receptionist, Adam Martin. 
and she takes over the practice, but she actually hires outside practitioners to perform the actual abortions because she's a receptionist, not a surgeon or whatever. Um, but in the 1940s and 50s, abortion laws started being enforced more strenuously. It was always illegal, but it was like kind of a lot of times, a lot of places, it was like, well, if you don't kill anyone, we aren't necessarily going to do anything. But then in 1940s, 1950s, unfortunately, right when this uh, receptionist takes over, uh, abortion law gets enforced more strenuously. And which, of course, shutters the safest abortion clinics in the country mm-hmm. and does nothing to stop women from needing abortions. So Heather Booth is compiling all the names of the reasonable providers that she can run across, uh, basically keeping track of who could be trusted to be safe, both like kind of legally safe, like, I mean, not it's illegal, but, you know, to be careful, uh, also to be medically safe and then also to be sexually safe because there's a whole problem with abortion providers creeping on the patients in their care, which mm. um, obviously <laughs> legalization didn't stop. But, um, you know, that's why uh, even when things are legal, we still need people to uh, advocate for us. And yes. so more and more people start coming to her for referrals, but she starts getting busier. In 1967, she marries Paul Booth, who's an activist she met at a sit-in demonstration against the draft in the Vietnam War, because again, everything's intersectional. He went on to help found Students for Democratic Society. In 1969, by 1969, they had two kids and she had a job and she was in grad school and she couldn't handle running like underground crime ring all by herself. Um, (laughs) So she called up a bunch of other activist women and got them in on her underground crime ring. And that's how Jane started. And Jane wasn't called Jane. It was the not quite as bad as a Soviet name, but it was the abortion counseling service of the Chicago Women's Liberation Union. A little bit shorter. Yeah. And they were like, just, you know, just let's co- just call it Jane. Uh, they mostly <laughs> called it the service within their own ranks, apparently. Um, but they picked Jane to be like kind of like the every woman name, right? Like, you know, we're all Jane or whatever, like Jane Doe. And history remembers that it's the Jane Collective, which is a better name than the abortion counseling service of the Chicago Women's Liberation Union. Yeah. It's a cooler name. It's definitely like rings like, oh, this is a good mystery novel. Let's go. Oh, good point. Yeah, no, totally. See? Yeah. And then they get the like the sense of intrigue in your life. And and if you're going to go do a crime, right, you should get some intrigue in your life out of it. It shouldn't be like the cold like bureau of crime where you like go right. in and they're like, please fill out a form for the crime you would like to commit. Right. And you're like, uh-huh. And they're like, we need it in triplicate. No, it should be fucking like exciting. The collective. I mean, come on, it's the Jane yeah. collective. So obviously they're badass espionage parts to this somehow yeah. and like secret coded languages and all that yeah. good stuff. Come on. You gotta be yeah. good. I can't wait till we can talk about more of the underground parts of the history, <laughs> but I, I am not wishing, uh, I, I wouldn't wish them all along happy lives. <laughs> so, okay. So they spend months planning out the whole thing before they launch. They're trying to be really careful with their crime ring. They, and also it's not just because it's crime. They actually, it's, they're doing this because they care, right? And so right. they're like, all right, what are we going to do if one of our patients has a medical emergency? What are we going to do if someone dies? What are we going to do if one of us is arrested? What are we going to do if one of our doctors is arrested? They, they like mapped all this out for months. They, they mapped it all very carefully. And then they opened. And they decided to keep minimal records and have different volunteers handle patient contact and doctor contact because, again, crime. And they also got an answering machine, which is like a weird – it's only notable to me because it's like a nice visual detail because I think at the time it's like a huge reel-to-reel machine – and so then, and then they put up ads in all the student and underground newspapers in Chicago, and they say, "Pregnant, don't want to be called Jane." Ha <laughs> ha! 
that's so snazzy. I like it. I know. I know. Like it, it was a whole system. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. It's kind of like they're trying to, if you, you know, during war times, I guess they were mm-hmm. doing the messages, telegrams, and trying to decode things. It was this level and it was yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. And we will hopefully never need it again, but it's an interesting anecdote about history. Um, Don't and- make me cry. <gasps> Come on. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so when they first started, they worked with a bunch of different abortionists and slowly they started using one guy more and more. And, some accounts call him Nick and some accounts call him Mike and all of the accounts put his name in air, in like quotes. Right. I was going to say they put in air quotes, but that's what I'm doing is the air quotes. You all can't see it. Because <laughs> Nick Mike is a crime guy. Like yeah. that's his thing through and through. Like one account just refers to him as like a con man over and over again, but it's a very positive account about like their con man. Right. And some accounts say he was a mafia abortionist and some accounts say he was independent and on the run from both cops and the mafia. Uh, I I straight up don't know what to believe. If you've heard one way or the other, I'd be curious. But yeah, I did hear a link to the mafia uh, yeah. at one point in time. But again, like that's kind of like does it make me make it more intriguing that this is right. what's happened, or does it make it more sinister? Right. Well, what's going to make it both more intriguing and sinister is that at least mm-hmm. one account wants you to know that Nick Mike is the sexiest man alive. <laughs> Okay, wait. I missed that as much research as I've done and trying to get this stuff. That I did not see. So now yeah. I'm like, well, I gotta have a picture. Come on. But I guess I know, we don't have I don't, a picture. Margaret I know, I, photo? No. I don't think there's pictures of quote. Nick I don't Mike. know. We don't actually have an identity for him. Yeah. Because he wasn't around. But they want you to know that he is a babe. Yeah. Like yeah. I need to know who said this. So was it wasn't Heather or Jody. One of the Jane Collective or something? It was one of the Jane Collective. I can't remember off the top of my head. It wasn't Jody because it was someone who would go and meet with him. Um, and it's in one of her accounts. It's from an interview. I think it's in the um, there's a zine that came out in like 2003 or four called right. Jane. And I, that has yeah. a lot of the interviews and shit. And that was where I pulled the sexiest man alive part from. And that, oh, that stays in my this. memory, you know? That is amazing. Yeah. I'm always looking for the subtext, you know, and like, like who's, fu- who's fucking who and. Um, <laughs> Like, this has become a draw. Like, not only has mm-hmm. it become like an espionage thing, it's kind of becoming a soap opera or something along those lines for someone to have to put that narrative in. Like, he's one of the sexiest men. I'm like, I know. how sexy? I'm, I have I have a feeling because it was the 60s, 70s. He had a mustache. I know he did. He had yeah. to have the mustache, yeah, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, probably. And long hair, you know? Like, <laughs> but not like full hippie long hair, just like kind no. of a, yeah. I was describing this <laughs> to one amazing. of my friends and, and they were like, oh, he probably had like a, a leather jacket and said chow a lot, you know. Um, and I, I'm not convinced <laughs> the by the chow. chow part. I'm not convinced. I think my friend had been watching a lot of is Eddie Izzard. That's amazing. And if that turned out to be, I, I really wish. I don't want like any like real, because I don't want to focus on him because he and himself was whatever. But like yeah. the fact that this was like a narrative around him is phenomenal. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and when they would go beat him, uh, at least for a while, I don't know if he stayed this way all the time. He would only meet one Jane at a time uh, because theoretically he wanted to avoid conspiracy charges. And if you have three or more people talking about a crime, then you can get conspiracy charges. And I'm not trying to say that this is the way you successfully avoid conspiracy charges is you never let more than one other person in the room at the same time. But theoretically, that was what his his whole thing was. And so they they liked their new con man. And they started working more or less exclusively with, with him. And they would, I guess, pick him up the airport, drive him to a motel, and they would bring him work. 
Uh, he wanted slightly less pay than most of the other abortionists, but he was still wasn't cheap and he was in it for the money. Right. Um, most abortions at the time ran $600 to $1,000, which is four to $7,000 in 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jane was able to offer them for 500 at the start, which is, and then after about five or six full price abortions, Nick Mike would do a couple for cheaper. Um and one of the founders, Jody Howard, Nick was particularly... Nick Mike is still such a funny thing to me. And that the only <laughs> thing we know about them is that they were hot. Yeah, totally. That's all you need to know. Come on. Yeah. Nick Mike. Nick Mike. It's um, so funny. I want that to be his first and middle name. Totally. That needs, that needs totally. to be his name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, he, was, he never actually lied about anything. He just... His name was Nick, last name Mike. And he... Uh, <laughs> The man with two first names. Name. Please. Okay. And no well, medical we license. Spoiler alert. this whole giant narrative around this one yeah. mysterious man. Yeah. Um, anyway, going on. Okay, so so one of the founders, Jody Howard, was particularly close with Nick Mike. And there's some kind of like subtext in what I read. But again, I'm not trying to make assumptions because people might still be alive. But but Jody decided, and this actually makes a lot of sense, right? She was like, uh, there needs to be a woman in the room as you're performing these abortions. And so she started insisting and then started insisting that he apprentice her. And her own, uh, Jody Howard's own entry into the movement was kind of interesting. She had uh, two kids in lymphatic cancer and she was pregnant for a third time and she knew that childbirth would as likely as not kill her. Uh, and doctors still wouldn't let, let her get an abortion. Theoretically, the law at the time was if childbirth would kill you, you can get an abortion. So the w- only way she felt like she could take matters into her own hands about this is she basically was like, give me an abortion or I'll kill myself. And um and they were like okay you can have an abortion now, and which is just a like how cruel is a law that the only way that you can control your own body is by like threatening to end your own life um right so she became an abortion access crusader imagine that and she figured out she was the first one to figure out apparently kind of quickly that handsome man crime doc Nick Mike wasn't a doctor um he he had a lot of things going for him but a medical license was not one of the things he had going for him. And and she knew that. (laughs) So once again, only thing that's factually accurate about Nick Mike is hot. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Possibly that was by one one person's right. No, Samantha. Uh, It is it is fact. It is now forever. It is now in stone. Well, if one person thinks you're sexy, you're sexy. You know. Okay. Oh God. (laughs) All right. Anyway, keep going. All right. So she decides not to tell anyone at first because she's like everyone's going to freak the fuck out. And she's like, also like, but if if he can learn it and he's not a doctor, so can I. I'm not a doctor. And so he he made him teach her. And and at first, Nick Mike is working out of motels. But then one day, an angry husband comes and like is banging on the motel room door. And they realize they had to step up their security. So in order to make it all more uh, mystery novel, crime novel, they start renting apartments all over the city. And they need two at any given time. First, they have the front where all the patients mm-hmm. come for counseling and consultation. It's uh, where it's also where they show up on the day of the abortion. And they're encouraged to bring loved ones for support. And of course, most people who can who get abortions already have children. And so they provided childcare at the front as well. And working at the front was therefore this like really demanding job. You were a counselor, you were a babysitter, and you were also like an entertainer. You were passing out like snacks and tea and soda and shit to like anxious boyfriends and probably girlfriends and siblings and all that shit, you know? And then you had the place. That was the front name of the place. Very, it's still better than the Soviet names. Actually, these also kind of sound like, anyway, whatever. Um, 
it looks sounds very coded and wonderfully uh, again espionage e. Yeah, totally. And so the place is the apartment where the abortion is actually performed on a bed with like plastic and cloth sheets down. And um, they they worked hard to make the whole experience as like unmedical as possible. They they work to be relaxed and inviting and, and communicate with people about what's going on. Some of the reports I was reading said this doesn't always work. Sometimes they're like, hey, I'm like, I'm your new best friend, you know, and they're like trying to be really nice. And then um, and sometimes they're like, no, this is the worst day of my life. Let's get this fucking over with, you know, right. and other times they were like, you know, friendly and, and stuff. Then there are the drivers who took people from one place to the other. They or rather, they took people from the front to the place and from the place to the front. And these were in somewhat short supply, apparently, because most of the Janes were students at University of Chicago. And so um, and a lot of them had come from New York City where people just didn't have driver's licenses. So the the few drivers with driver's licenses were basically it's like all of the jobs that any of the Janes were doing were incredibly important, not just the abortionists, right. you know, and they performed over 11,000 abortions in like a barely three-year span. It was like 1969 to 1973. A later obstetrician looking at their records suggested it was as safe as any above-ground legal clinic. Um, they never had a patient die, uh, at least not one that they performed an abortion on. They did have one time where a woman came in in bad shape. She tried and failed to end her pregnancy on her own a few different ways right. um, because making things illegal is really fucked up. Um, right. And she had a, a really severe infection. Uh, Jane determined it wasn't safe to operate on her. And so they insisted she go to the hospital and she didn't. She went home instead. Right. And I I kind of assume, I mean, I feel like we've all been there where we've been like, someone's like, you really need to see a doctor. And you're like, doctor? Well, I look like a millionaire. You know? Right. I mean, and also, again, the stigma and the judgments. Mm -hmm. And if she was trying, if this person was trying to do a self-abortion, uh, that in itself told, tells you how dire of a situation they felt they were in yeah. and felt like they had to do something, whatever they could, and it killed them, which is what that situation yeah. leads to when you really feel whatever circumstance, whether it's uh, trying to not be uh, disapproved by the parents or the family or society or whatever, mm -hmm. having this level of being alone and trying to do whatever you can, no matter the cost. And then not realizing there is another option until it's yeah. too late. That's that's that yeah. whole level in itself that just breaks your heart in this whole situation. But I love the setup about the the front and the place as you were talking about because yeah. as I was reading about these things, the idea that going to a gynecologist, going mm -hmm. to get your yearly checkup, is frightening. Going to a doctor in general is frightening as hell to me. Mm -hmm. It's probably one of those anxiety moments of like, oh my god. Why do I have to be here? And to know that you're going to do something that seems that you've been told is wrong, A. Yeah. B, so you have all of this guilt uh, on top of that, whatever it may be, whatever the situation is. And we don't know the outlying situation, whether it is you did have consensual sex and you didn't have protection or because you didn't understand uh, the way anatomy works. You yeah. didn't have full understanding of what was happening with you. We already know, like, there's sexual trauma within even normal situations that could be sexual trauma. And yeah. when I say normal, I mean consensual situations or what no, yeah, was totally. consensual. Uh, like having understanding with these Janes coming in and be like, let me counsel you and let's have a deep conversation. But also we're going to set this whole place up like a home so that yeah. you feel comfortable and like not instead of in a ser sterile, scary back hall, like yeah. which people would search for at that point in time, trying mm -hmm. to get those illegal abortions, really feeling like these are professionals. Like that's, wow, like that's uh, above and beyond. I love that. 
Yeah, no, that, and thinking about like, I mean, you know, not on anywhere lo- the same level of scale of what some other people had to deal with. I remember um, the first time, just so now that listeners know way too much about my, my sexual history and health, uh, I went to go get an STI screening the first time after I came out as trans and was like willing to, you know, put down my actual gender on on forms and things like that. And I went to go get an STI screening and like, you know, and was in this stupid room with a stupid health practitioner who touched me inappropriately and like came on to me while, you know, um, touching my genitals and like, holy shit. Yeah. And I'm like, and then, and then I, it took me a long ass time before I went and got STI screened again, you know? And like, I'm not proud of that. And I'm sorry, everyone, you know, but like, but it's like, and just thinking about what it must be like. Yeah. Like you're talking about being in the situation where you're like, fuck it. I'm giving myself an abortion, you know, like, So I'm like really not trying to shame this person who like chose not to go to the hospital until it's too late, you know? This is about first and foremost. I'm so sorry that you went through that. That is bullshit on every level and it was wrong and that person should be arrested and they are assholes first and foremost. Yeah. I've had enough of my day with just people being bad people and what happened to you? Oh my God. I'm speechless in that. I hate that now I'm getting to know you that you would ever <laughs> anyone would ever have to go oh, through thanks. anything yeah. like that to a person that they should be able to trust. Professionals yeah. are someone that we should be able to trust. And you were kind of talking about that with the uh, James being like, uh, Heather being like, you know what? I think there needs to be a woman present so we yeah. can watch and make sure they don't feel traumatized. That in yeah. itself, oh God, I am so sorry. And that should not have happened to you. And that was wrong in every yeah. fucking level. Thank you. Yeah, it's 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 funny to like, you know, like oh, I've like barely told people this, and now I've told however many people this. Um, but like, I I don't have any, I don't feel any like guilt or shame around it. I'm just angry, right. you know, and like, right. And I'm angry that like, you know, I was like so excited, like it's whatever. If I talk about this too much, I'll start crying. But like, I was so excited that I could like fill out the form and actually write down that I'm like right. you know a trans woman and shit like that. And it's like oh, I'm gonna have gender affirming care. I've never had gender affirming care, and I'm like, oh. Actually, being <laughs> being seen as a woman sucks. <laughs> Everything right. about this sucks. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's definitely just the whole different level of like this moment that you should be celebrating to be yeah. free. Oh my God, yeah. I'm free. Here I am. I get to be here and be who I am and then have this dick yeah. coming through and just ruining that moment and then yeah. honestly betraying their betraying their professionalism betraying their profession um and showing off as like oh yeah you are evil in general and therefore you shouldn't they should not be a part of this profession i yeah whatever whatnot but on top of that yeah that you had the audacity to take someone's hope yeah and safety and i hate that i am so sorry and again yeah uh, and I love, yeah, you being angry. Yeah. You're better than I, because I think I would like <laughs> rage everywhere, but you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a whole different conversation with me raging. <laughs> no, I, I, I am I am totally fine with rage and anger as a way of dealing with certain uh, issues in society and in my personal life when, when people are doing things. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, coming back to, I love that the Jane Collective yeah. really kind of understood that level and yeah, I hate that that someone died and that's not someone that they, yeah. I, I know like they were 
it traumatized them, which is why we've got they their whole attitude was like, we got to do better. That's why yeah. we as women, even though they were not doctors and medical professionals, it is right. concerning. I will say when I first read that, I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> that's a good idea. But understanding yeah. that they really cared about these people that were coming in and was all about giving them safety and understanding yeah. what they had to do is what they had to do because the doctors were no longer uh, coming through because they were getting uh, like the Roe versus Wade was really coming through about who was getting penalized and who was really getting targeted. Um, and so they had less and less options. And why not if they can truly do a good job? And and big thing was getting the right equipment, getting sterilized co- equipment. I know that was a mm-hmm. big factor in it as well. Yeah. Um, but you know who will sell you sterile medical equipment that you can use? <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> the, the products. Can we get? Can we get a? Can we get sponsored by a? By at home abortion care. <laughs> you know, our, one of our sponsors was Plan B. Hell yeah! Fuck yeah! Cool. Yeah, so there you go. Um. Okay, well, and then we're sponsored by that and whatever this other stuff is. <laughs> Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent, only in theaters May 17th. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R I T E R U G.com today to schedule a free in home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Back from the break. That was a long one. Let's go. Yeah. And you know who else kept going was was the Jane Collective. Yeah. Um, because as, as you were pointing out, like the this brush with death like shook them up because they... I mean, it wasn't their fault, right? They didn't right, do anything but wrong, still. but they care. Yeah, yeah. That was the whole point of them starting is because they wanted to prevent uh, people from dying yeah. from this type of process and this type of access. And so even though it had nothing to do with them, it was still a death uh, yeah. because of something so preventable. Yeah. And 
I was trying to make a joke about how they're actually just in it to make a quick buck, but it wouldn't even work <laughs> because it's so obviously untrue. Um, and so they keep going. Over 100 women work as Jane through the course of the project, though generally is like 20 to 30 at any given time, um, which is kind of interesting to have this like high turnover rate, like, oh, like it's this casual thing. You go join this like very above ground underground organization that's like committing felonies, which is fucking cool. One Jane named uh, Jeannie Gallitzer-Levy, and she'll come up more later. Uh, she described her first meeting that she showed up to for orientation. There were like 30 women crammed into the dining room. Each new volunteer was paired with a big sister who would get them onboarded like a mentor. And at each meeting, they would pass around index cards with all of the cases that needed to be handled. And everyone would take the cards that, of the cases that they wanted to handle. And of course, that meant they like everyone took the easy cards first, you know, and then like <laughs> the big complicated ones. Everyone's like, uh, but, you know, we've all been there. <laughs> and so in 1971, Jody Howard finally tells the rest of the group that uh, Sexy Nick Man was not a quote unquote real doctor. Um, and did we change? Did we change his name to Nick Man? <laughs> Sexy Nick no, Nick Mike. Sorry, I, I um, <laughs> yeah, no, Nick Man. Sexy Man, like Nick Mike. Better. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I misheard it. I no, misheard no, it. I don't I'm know. Like, I probably said it just, wrong. Everybody's listening did, knows the right answer, better. but we don't. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Uh, back to sexy Nick man. Yeah. Nick Knight. Sexy, sexy, sexy guy. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. So people take the news really hard. Right. Um, and the reactions fall into two camps and half of them were like, we're no better than the back alley providers. And the other half were like, well, if crime guy can do it, so can we. And um, in general, the former camp left and the latter camp stayed. And many of the people who stayed, you know, I've, I've read some said that half of the Janes left and I've read other things that said that's an exaggeration. I don't know. Um, right. But a lot of the ones who stayed learned how to provide abortions. And uh, abortion was kind of having a, a bit of a renaissance around this time in the late 60s and early 70s in terms of how it was done. Um, a lot of the abortionists, yeah, were, were sketchy back alley providers, but um, but the Jane Collective wasn't the only ones who were taking it seriously and and caring. Uh, other people were working their asses off to help people get abortion safely and effectively despite state repression. And we're going to talk a little bit later, I think, in part two about some of the things that the methods that people pioneered and which ones are still applicable today and which ones are not. Um, so so Nick Mike, he makes himself obsolete. Um, he was a crime guy at the end of the day, and he's in it for the money. But right. he's willing to make himself obsolete. So he teaches a lot of Janes how to do this. Because And they're like, well, we want to charge a hundred bucks. And he's like, yeah, that's not going to happen. So he teaches them how to do it. And then he fucks off and he's just like <laughs> gone. His trail goes cold. Did you ever, have you ever heard anything else? There is this. So there, like one of the things I read was that, that the mafia was after him and mm -hmm. that's why he just disappeared. Uh, yeah. But that could have been just someone trying to uh, make it a bigger, bigger story. And that's why we don't yeah. know nothing of them. But it could be as simple as he didn't want any part of it. They, uh, it, it got a little hot. A lot of mm -hmm. people were investigating different types of organizations. And because the doctors had pulled out, he pulled out too. And also he didn't get enough money since they were trying yeah. to downgrade the cost. So he was like, yeah. fine, never see you again. Yeah. But yeah, I did hear that the mafia might have come after him. Yeah, I like to think that he rode away into the sunset on a motorcycle while smoking and then lived to 107. Yeah. That's yeah. that's the Nick version Mike. of him. Yeah. Sexy Nick Mike has got he's got to be in the sunset somewhere. Yeah, he's, totally. For some reason, he is Mike Nick for me. But I hear you <laughs> saying Nick Mike, but he is Mike Nick for me. And you know what? That's just a personal preference, I guess. Yes, it is. <laughs> Nick Mike, Mike Nick, 
can be whoever you need him to be because he's just the sexy man. He really that is. Wrote away. Who, who shows up and teaches you how to provide abortions and then rides off into the sunset. <laughs> Apparently. Uh, there you go. <laughs> who knew this is what we needed in our lives? Come yeah. on, y'all. <laughs> but the greatest part is they only needed him for a little while. Just a little while. Because he made himself About obsolete. Right. And then at that point, all of the work was being done entirely by women. And they they also it wasn't just enough that they like did it in the cold medical way. They also still wanted to, again, sort of demedicalize it. And they wanted to teach clients what was happening and give them agency. One of the one of the Janes, Ruth Sergal, in an interview said, quote, it was one of the things we talked about a lot. We were not doing something to this woman. We were doing something with this woman. And she was as much a part of it and part of the process as we were so that we would talk about how we relied on them if we got busted. You know, we would explain that they were not doing something illegal. We were doing something illegal, but we need their help. And, you know, you don't talk about it and we have to keep quiet. So I, I like that they like basically they're like, look, because it wasn't illegal to get an abortion. It was illegal to give an abortion. Um, so the Janes were taking all of the, the legal risk, um, but they basically brought everyone in and were like, look, like you rely on us. We need to rely on you. And I think that's cool. Right. Yeah. And. Not all of them performed abortion. Uh, some of them, everyone took tasks that suited them best. There were callback Janes who talked to the patients and big Janes who would handle the coordination. At least one Jane later pointed out that decision-making was kind of fraught within the collective. Um, they, they tended to suppress internal conflict. And so everyone would like stay focused on the task and we don't have time to address the you know, power dynamics and the other issues happening. Um, and I'm not trying to like single them out for this. Every activist organization I've ever heard of does this. Right. It's like something that we just need to be aware of. And I don't know whether this happens particularly in direct action groups or if I think that because most of the organizations I've been involved with were more direct action groups. But it's just a thing that happens where like people are like, you know, like tree sitters are like, oh, we can't talk about patriarchy within the movement. They're cutting the trees down right now. You know? Right. Right. And so I think they had some of that going on, at least according to, to at least one of right. them later. It wouldn't be surprising. Uh, and go, of course, we don't know all of the Janes that came through, but mm -hmm. it was pretty much ran by white women. Yep. Um, and w when we know what happens when it comes to feminism and white women and, and where that can lead and who actually uh, gatekeeps what, there's always going to be situations with that. And then when you have something that is so, uh, as you said, fraught, but like uncertain, mm -hmm. uh, anything illegal we know is going to be uncertain, is going to have a lot of stress. And I can't imagine what that looks like within a group, especially when you're also handle handling medical procedures mm -hmm. on your own as well. So I, I totally. like there's so many things to that. And again, like talking about who was getting access, a lot of people were getting access, but it's seeming like it was a lot of like college students. Mm -hmm. And at this point in time, we know that for young women to be in college, they probably had some money. Yeah. And even though they might not have as much money as others in society, they still had a little bit of access and higher economic status than than most. And totally. again, it says a lot to even though they were trying to be accessible, but the word of mouth went through who who did it go to? Yeah, typically a middle class uh, women. So or middle class people at that point in time. So there's a lot to be said. Kind of the same way that if we wanted to go jump and I don't want to because I did this with, mm -hmm. with Robert a long time ago about um uh, <laughs> Planned Parenthood and the beginnings of that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we know that, that there is things that happen within movements yeah. and who is leading movements and what that could have been yep. on the under, underbelly of it. Totally. And I say I, this as you know more than I do, but. No, just, no, you know, I, I, I don't. And like, I mean, obvious. it's funny because once again, you're reading my script ahead of me and I, 
Not in a bad way. No, I just, I like that we're on the same page about this because yeah, that's, that's one of the most important things to understand with a lot of this is like, um, it's mostly white women. It's almost exclusively white women doing this work. Um, mm-hmm. in, in 1970, New York and a few other states, Hawaii, Alaska, and Washington legalized most abortion. And suddenly there weren't as many middle-class patients from that point. And s- because people could just fly or train out to New York and have a legal abortion instead of going all the way to the UK. And so they started serving the black community of Chicago more and more, but it was still white women doing it. And, and yeah, when I, when I first read like, oh, they advertised in the student papers and I'm like, okay, it's really cool that students have access to abortion, but that is not necessarily like the majority of the people in Chicago or whatever, you know? Right. Um, and I've only run across one, uh, black Jane, uh, a woman named Louise who joined basically, um, to be like, look, y'all are doing a, a good thing, but it's like still kind of fucking weird that you're all white. And, and then again, and, and I read that basically her friends were like, what are you fucking doing? If these white women get right. caught, they'll get off. And if you get caught, you're, you're fucked. Right. And I, I don't know that that ever had to be tested. It, I don't believe it, it was ever tested. Uh, well, the fact that white women getting arrested ended up okay was tested. But right. I, do, I don't believe right. any... I believe Louise was the only black Jane and certainly the only one I ran across. Um, right. So. Yeah, and, and just the little research that I did, I didn't mm-hmm. see her name pop up in a, like... Uh, or who she was. Also, mm. yeah, again, probably being identified is not a thing you want to be yeah. at doing an underground system. Totally. Um, but yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. dangerous on so many levels. And we understand that. And in Chicago in itself, long, ugly history yeah. of uh, segregation and such. Yep. So now that Nick Mike is gone and they're providing the abortions themselves, though, their prices are able to drop dramatically. They were, abortions were nominally $100, but realistically, they took whatever the patient could offer. They averaged about $50. The drivers were the ones collecting the money and somewhere between the, the front and the place, but they didn't count the money. They just were handed money and took it. Uh, sometimes they were handed jars of change. And when they could, $25 were taken out of every, you know, and if there was at least $25, as far as I understand, $25 was taken out and put into a revolving loan fund where people could come and say like, I need a loan to get it. And they would have a no interest loan that kind of is a like, look, please pay it back. But we're not like sending anyone to your house if you don't pay it back. Right. You know, right. so it's kind of a like, a please pay it back, not a, you must <laughs> yeah, pay it back. Honor, sy- honor system. Yeah, totally. And it's, and it's kind of the thing where it's like, not just an honor system, but like, I assume they weren't like, don't starve yourself to pay this back. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, they basically were just like, this is so that the next woman who needs an abortion can have one if you can, you know. And that's and that's where we're going to leave it today with Jane in their heyday. They're an all-woman collective providing safe, illegal abortions and to the people of Chicago, which is, is pretty fucking cool. Yes. Do you have any, like, final thoughts for today or, or do you want to? No, I'm just so <laughs> excited that we're talking more about this, like yeah. discovering all these things being on an intersectional feminist show and coming to like, yes, let's keep talking about it. This <laughs> yeah. is amazing. I love it. But yeah, but uh, being realistic about, you know, it wasn't glamour and mm-hmm. it wasn't uh, as easy, obviously, as it should be. And this is the problem when we have limited access or no access. And then when we start criminalizing people for mm-hmm. trying to just live like that's just yeah, totally. But I'm excited that we are talking about. Yeah. This. Yeah. And I, I really want to like, whenever possible, I really want to do like a warts and all version of the show, because like when you hold up people as heroes and they're like, this person was right. perfect. And you're like, well, I'm not perfect. I can't be a hero. 
Right. You know, and it's like, no, like these people like got lots of things wrong and they just did amazing shit anyway. Um, right. Yeah. And, and nobody's perfect besides dogs. Correct. Besides dogs. Yeah. And my dog's a dick, but I love her. Uh, yeah. But yeah, on top of the fact that <laughs> I'm honest, we're honest about it. <laughs> but yeah, I think but this she's is the also best part. Perfect. Yeah. Sure. Kind of. Whatever. Sophie gets angrier and angrier at the idea that a I'm dog like, might not be perfect. I'm like, don't no, you can't perfect. say it. You can't say don't say it. But yeah, like I think and that's the thing is like honestly, what comes down to and what I love discovering, and I know we're gonna keep talking about it, but about these cool people, is that it wasn't that they wanted to be a hero and that they didn't mm-hmm. do anything wrong before or don't have wrong perspectives or may have misspoke. Uh, it's just that they they saw a need and they did something about it. Point yeah. blank. And that's what we get to celebrate. Totally. And you can you can celebrate more with us on the part two of this two-part series on Wednesday when we're yeah. going to talk in more detail about exactly what services they offered and how it all went down um, and some of the other people who've taken up the torch in the decades since them. Samantha, anything you want to plug before we head out? Oh, yeah. So if this interests you and you like to learn more about women and history and the intersectionality of it all, you should come listen to Stuff Mom Never Told You, which you can also find on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcast. You can follow us, uh, Stuff Mom Never Told You, on Twitter and on Instagram. You can also follow me, uh, McVeigh Sam, I believe is my Instagram, and then Sam McVeigh on Twitter. Y'all, I'm, I'm struggling. Um, I'm not really active, but sometimes I exist. Um, there's a very cute dog picture on your Instagram where you're wearing matching Halloween outfits. So <laughs> this is what I've become. That's that's what I would like to plug at the end here yeah, is that photo. Yes, um, we are pumpkins. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> we'll, we'll see we'll see we'll see y'all Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? 
And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 